Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. As you know, uh, a few weeks ago, we began a journey as we opened up chapter 2. And uh, we have uh, two sermons behind us uh, as we approach verses 7 to 10 today. And uh, actually, uh, the rest of chapter 2 will be three sermons more uh, that speak to uh, the peace that we have uh, in Jesus Christ and um, some pictures of what the church is uh, in relation to uh, the world in which we live, but also to uh, God's kingdom, uh, the fact that we are uh, a temple uh, and that we are a family. Uh, and so as we refresh our memories and taking a look at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, uh, again, as I prayed just a moments ago, that's important for us to see who we are apart from God. Because if we don't see ourselves as God sees us, then we will see ourselves as capable. We will see ourselves as better than we are. Because that is what selfish, sinful nature does. It elevates man. uh, And at the same time, if man is elevated, then God cannot be. Uh, What happens is, is that we rob God of glory when we do not see ourselves as spiritually dead to God. But then verses 4 to 6 painted a beautiful picture that helped balance out uh, this uh, grim reality that we are spiritually dead apart from God, that we've been made spiritually alive in Christ, Uh, that it is not of our own doing, that it is only through Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, that we can be made spiritually alive. Uh, There is not one ounce of spiritual life apart from Christ. Nothing small, nothing that can be cultivated uh, apart from God coming in and completely transforming us spiritually, taking that which was dead and making it alive, taking that which is part of darkness and shining light into it. Then today we get the the, uh, opportunity to take a look at um, going from being spiritually dead to God to being made spiritually alive in Christ as a testimony to God's grace and kindness, which is what verses 7 through 10 speak to today. The why God has made us spiritually alive in Christ. So let's take a look at verses 7 to 10 uh, as we begin our time this morning. So verse 7 says, So that, so again, here's the why, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable greatness of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there are three things that we're going to take a look at here as we look at this section of why. There are three answers to that question. Why did God make us spiritually alive in Christ? For his glory, as a gift, and the goal of God being glorified, but also producing fruit from that resurrection from the dead spiritually. Uh, An earmark, something that will be seen so that God the Father is glorified. Uh, And so let's uh, take a look at verse 7 there as we begin, uh, as we speak to God's glory. It says there in verse 7, So that in the coming ages 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So let me begin by asking the question, why did God create us? You know, we saw the Mother's Day video as we took a look and went all the way back to the beginning. Uh, as uh, a rib was taken out of Adam's side to, uh, to create woman. So why did God create us at all? Do you know the answer to that question? I hope you do. Because God created us for his glory. So say that with me this morning. Why did God create us? For his glory. And we know that from Revelation chapter 4, uh, verse 11, where it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you, God, created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. So we are not an accident. We are not a biological mass of uh, chemicals and cells coming together just by a random happenstance to, you know, to actually have these bodies that you live in today. Because there is a creator. There is a God who formed you. And it is by his will that we even exist so if God's will was not functioning, then we would not exist. It's part of who God is as he creates, as he has the, the power to, out of nothing, create everything that there is. The eternal God of all who existed, who needed nothing, created us for his glory. That's why he is worthy, as it says, O Lord and God, to receive glory honor, and power. Now, he doesn't have to receive power from anyone because he is almighty. He has all power there is. Matter of fact, there is no power apart from God. But we recognize and we honor him as the God who is almighty. We honor him as the one who alone is worthy of praise because he created us. See, do you see when you understand and you see the truth from a, through a set of spiritual eyes how beautiful that is? Yes, these bodies are frail. Yes, these bodies are weak. That's a result of sin. There's a day coming where we're going to have a body that is glorified, that is fit for eternity, that will no longer experience the, the frailty and the limitations of these physical bodies that we have right now. And it will be all to the glory and honor and power of Almighty God. Because he alone is worthy. So a second question is, is why did God create us for his glory? Why did God save us? Because as we look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, there is nothing there. We are spiritually dead. And there is nothing lovable about sin. You know, if we see ourselves through God's eyes and we see that amazing grace, we see that mercy, we see that love in action, then we know the answer to why God saves us. Because he doesn't save us because there's something lovable there. He saves us for his glory. So why did God create us? Okay, and why did God save us? See, God's the subject. It's not man. See, we have to quit superimposing ourselves upon God, thinking that uh, we somehow add to God. God doesn't need anything added to him. 
He is perfect in all of his ways. Every attribute is holy and righteous. But he chose to create. He chose to create you. To create you in his image. So that you share in some of the attributes that even God himself has. Flawed, yes. But one day they'll be perfected. When we have that glorified body. But see, this is what it says there in verse 7 of chapter 2. Why did God save us? So that in the coming ages, he might show. Now, God is not a showman where he needs, you know, the accolations of man in order to feel complete. You know, we like to be complimented. We like to be recognized. We like to have someone pat us on our proverbial back for the things that we do. God does not. But that does not mean he is not worthy of glory and honor and praise. And he saved us for his glory so that in the coming ages he may show that amazing grace, that, that, that wonderful, undeserving mercy, and a love that is beyond comprehension. Why would the God of all send his one and only son to take on human flesh, dwell among us, be uh, the bearer of truth and life and wisdom that is heavenly to be put into the hands of sinful men because Jesus had the authority to lay down his life and take it up again. See, that's what love is all about, laying down his life for you and I. So why did God save us? For his glory. See, know this, that time will not influence, diminish, transform, or render unnecessary the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? So no amount of time, yes, we are, you know, upwards of two millennia from the time that Jesus offered himself as that once for all sacrifice. And just because that many years have passed by, it will not in any way influence. So in other words, the gospel good news of Jesus Christ taking on flesh, dying on that cross does not need to change. No matter how difficult, no matter how evolved the culture may think it is, we do not need to repackage the truth. What we need is to proclaim the truth in love. That's what we are called to do. See, time will not influence it. It will not diminish it because the same glory coming from the God of all glory sent his son of glory in order that he may be glorified in providing salvation to those who believe. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? Isn't it? Did I lose everybody there for a second? I think time is having a little bit of an effect on you this morning. Or were you just waiting for effect to have Pastor Bill see? See, but time won't diminish it in any way. It's not going to get dull. It's a story. It is a truth about the God who saves. And no amount of time is going to change that. It doesn't need to be transformed And it will never, ever, ever be rendered unnecessary because God's holiness demands it. No amount of time will change that. 
And the thing is, Jesus is Savior when he died on that cross. He is Savior today. He is Savior for eternity. And it is only through him we can experience salvation. So God created us for his glory. He saves us for his glory. And no amount of time is going to change that immeasurable. And I love the fact that Paul uses these words to help us see It's not just the riches of his grace. It is immeasurable. You cannot quantify it. You cannot, you know, give a value to it because it's immeasurable. And just when you think you know it, guess what? It's bigger than that. And just when you think you know the bigger than that, it's bigger than that. It just keeps building upon itself so that for all of eternity, we will see the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. Because every time we see our Savior and we see the, the nail marks in his hands and his feet and see his face, we will know. And no amount of time or, as we sung, 10,000 years is going to change that. If anything, it'll be more sweeter. It'll be more wonderful. Because we'll be in the presence of our Savior without hindrance. There will be no more sin. No more doubt. No more fear. So why did God make us spiritually alive in Christ? First, for his glory. Second, as a gift. That brings us to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which I have no doubt that many of you have committed to memory. So what could Pastor Bill possibly communicate about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Well, I'm glad you asked because I I have something to communicate. (laughs) For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You should underline that doubled. It's not your own doing. You are not saved by your own strength. You are saved by the power of Almighty God through Christ. It is the gift of God. What is the gift? Go backwards. Faith. That is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. See, all the glory in grace, salvation, and faith goes to God. It's not about you. Stop making it about you, because that's what culture does. That's what sinful man does. It's all about me. It's all about my feelings. It's all about what I want. And we always we can remember, and, and I, I understand that uh, Carol drove it into the, the minds of everyone at Ellington Baptist Church. What's the middle letter in the word sin? I. See, there's no I with God. Because you know what I am? Dead in my trespasses and sins. Separated from God. Apart from Jesus Christ. See, All the glory and grace, salvation, and faith goes to God because it is God's gift to the spiritually dead. That's what salvation is. It's a gift to you, the one who is spiritually dead, in need of salvation, in need of redemption, in need of forgiveness of sin, in need of spiritual life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our, what? Faith. So who's the author of your faith? Jesus is, who is God as well, so you're right. 
He is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, that's Jesus. That's love incarnate. He took upon himself sin. He endured the cross, despising the shame of that crucifixion, a sinner's death, so that you and I may live and have spiritual life as God's gift to those who are spiritually dead. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So the belief that we have in Christ has been what? Granted to you. Because you are spiritually dead. And apart from God, you will remain in your trespasses and sins for eternity. Acts chapter 14, verse 27. This is the end of Paul, uh, his first missionary journey. And they were given testimony to what God was doing among the Gentile people. It says in verse 27, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he, not Paul, God, had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. See, because faith is God's gift to those who are spiritually dead, which is every person on this planet. See, that's why salvation belongs to God. It is God's gift to us. The grace, the salvation, and the faith, it all belongs to God. See, coming to church does not save. Doing good things for others does not save. Getting baptized does not save. Joining a church does not save. Taking communion, as we're going to share this morning, does not save. Keeping God's law does not save. The only thing that saves is responding to that gift of faith from God. Receiving that gift. So why did God make us spiritually alive in Christ? For his glory and as a gift to us. A gift that is uh, the gift of faith through which we are saved, showing his wonderful, amazing grace to us. And then third, it's God's goal. What is the goal of, of all this uh, in making us spiritually alive? Because there is an outcome, not only that of salvation, but also, as we will see, that we were created for a particular purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Who are the we? Those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship is from the Greek word uh, poyama, which literally means a work. So it's the word where we get our English word poem. And so think about that for a moment. When it says, we are his workmanship, 
You know, we, we, you know, get our word poem from it. So what we are in relation to God and what he does in working in us, you know, we are a work. Now, I know that sometimes, you know, others have told me that I'm a real piece of work. <laughs> but see, in relation to who I am as a son of God, he is, he is, you know, writing a brilliant masterpiece as his spirit works in and through me, as I spend time in his word, as I'm spending time praying to God, as I'm spending time growing in the grace and the knowledge of God, he is writing chapters in the book of Bill Diggins' life for God's glory. So we need to see that God is the master designer. He is the master author. You know, Jesus is what? The founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the author of our faith. Because without Christ, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, separated from God. You remember back to um, earlier uh, in the, the book of Ephesians, back in chapter 1, I introduced to you the golden chain of salvation in Romans chapter 8. And see, this speaks to this right here, what this, this master author the God who created you, the one who says we are his workmanship. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That phrase right there in the middle of all those big theological words. See, we are God's workmanship being conformed to the image of God's Son. See, that's the great work that God is doing. That's what God is authoring in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. He is conforming you into the image of His Son. Yes, we still struggle with sin, but we're the, you know, no longer enslaved to it. The chains have been broken as we sung this morning. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, it is a completed masterpiece. We often talk about God's not finished with me yet. And I know myself. God's got a lot of work to do. But he's not going to give up on me because I've been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Christ. He's going to continue to allow his living and active word to speak truth into my life. He's going to help me to be a bolder witness of saving faith to a world that needs to hear it. Because it is only God's truth that is going to transform the world. It's not who's in any office politically Only God can change men's hearts to take them from being selfish and sinful so that they can glorify God as part of God's will. Is God glorified even in their sinful actions? Yes, he will be because his justice will be given because the wages of their sin is death. But oh, what amazing grace that saved a wretch like you and me. 
See, that's what salvation is all about. And if that doesn't move you, if you, you can't say those words with conviction, then something's not right. Because the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God's Son, when you see them through the spiritual eyes of God the Father, should move you. Move you, move you to live differently, move you to be a witness to God's grace in your life into the lives of others because there's others that need to know. They don't need to feel better about themselves. They don't need to be told that they're basically good or not so bad. No, they need to see themselves as God sees them because there's going to be a lot of people who are deceived into believing that they were good enough who will spend eternity in hell forever. We are not good enough. Jesus is the one who qualifies us. He is the one who grants us belief and faith and salvation so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Created. This Greek word here is katizo which means of the divine operation on the soul. So remember I talked about God doing spiritual surgery, removing that heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh that is you know, malleable and able to be you know, transformed and actually have spiritual life in it and not be a stone, cold, rock-hard heart. Well, this word here, created, is of divine operation on the soul. Because that's exactly what God does through Christ. Because we need that spiritual operation. We need the master designer, the creator of all life, to come in and create in us, in our souls, to take us from being eternally damned to being eternally blessed. To be those who are redeemed. Notice, we are created in what? Christ Jesus. See, words are important. We're not created, you know, in the choices that I make. We're not created in being good people. This work on our soul is in Christ. That's why he's the way. There's no other option. It has to be Jesus. Later on in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 24, it speaks to this, and we see this same uh, Greek word here. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Because what God is doing is he's making a masterpiece through the blood of his son in your life. Because he has things he wants to teach you. He has things he wants to show you. He has things he wants to do in and through you. Because you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And here's the catcher. For... You to live however you want until you, God takes you home. Yeah, that's the nearly inspired version. <laughs> See, there's a, there's a purpose. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So God, the master author, the master designer, is doing this divine operation on our soul for good works. 
Now, this is where people get the, the word order all messed up because they think that the good works are what qualify them before God. They don't see that they are created in Christ Jesus, not in the good works. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. The good works aren't what save you. The good works are a result of salvation. It is a fruit of salvation. This is how we know who are true believers in Jesus Christ because we will see them and know them by their fruit. So if you're a believer here today in Jesus Christ, then it should be obvious to every other believer that you are truly a believer in God because there is fruit being born because God has come in and done a a divine operation on your soul. He's changed you from deep within, farther than any other created being could ever go. See, it's the fruit of being in Christ who is the true vine that we read about in John chapter 15. And verse 8 tells us, By this my Father is glorified that you, speaking of believers, bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So if you're a believer here today in Jesus Christ, you should be producing much fruit to prove that you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. So that means that it's not just marginal. You're not just a tree that has leaves on it. You're not a vine that just has leaves on it. You are a vine or a tree that produces fruit. Because that's what happens when God's involved. Because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the result is when God comes into a life, there is a production of that fruit. Titus chapter 2 verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are, what? Zealous for good works. Zealous, so eagerly desirous of those good works because God is involved, because the spirit of the living God is residing in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. So if you're not producing any type of fruit, or you do not have a love for the word of God, if you don't have a love to gather together and and talk about the things of God, not just the weather and not just things that pertain to this earthly life, then you need to stop and and make an examination of yourself to see if you are truly in Christ Jesus, that you've been created in Christ Jesus. Because there will be obvious changes to who you are. If the things of this world are of greater importance and greater appeal and greater draw to you, then you need to step back and say, do I truly know Jesus Christ? Do I truly know that amazing grace, how sweet the sound? Matthew chapter 5, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 14 and following. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, so like what that is speaking to, let your light shine before others so that, okay, so again, here's the why, so that they may see your good works 
and pat you on the back and say, good job. No, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, it's all about God. Sinful man says it's all about me. Someone who has natural eyes says it's about me. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, who prepared them? God. God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. So that's where the rubber meets the road. See, God's done this great work where he has done this divine operation on our soul, where he is writing this masterpiece of a novel that includes us, the redeemed. Not so we can just see our name on a page, but so that we can be part of what God is doing. Because God is still saving people through his son. And since Jesus has not returned yet, there are many who need to hear. They need to see that light on the hill. Not a light under a basket. So we need to be doing those good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The same almighty power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same almighty power that saved us and the same almighty power that will keep us. So how should all this inform our lives today? You know, we've gone from being spiritually dead to God to be being made spiritually alive in Christ as a testimony to God's grace and his kindness. Well, I think it's pinned in the words of the song, I love to tell the story. And with this, I close. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else would do. I love to tell the story more wonderful it seems than all the golden fancies of all our golden dreams. I love to tell the story it did so much for me, and that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat. What seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. So how does this apply? As someone who it was created for God's glory, who was saved by God's glory and for his glory, as a gift from God for the goal of us walking in the good works which are a result of that great operation on our souls so that others can experience the freedom from sin and know the one true God who made them instead of denying the creator, instead of you know, saying it's all about me and what I want. Because every trouble, every problem that you can look at in our world today goes back to a departure, a deviation, an alteration of God's original design. 
Every one of them. You give me something and I can point you right back to where that goes back to the core of sin. But what, oh, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Seems sweeter every time we tell that story. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the fact that we weren't just left in our trespasses and sins, that we were not just uh, left to our wickedness, but through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through a gift of faith, we have the ability to be made right with you, that your Son can qualify us to be in your presence for eternity. And so, Father, as we take this communion meal together this morning, as we remember your Son's sacrifice, may it spur us on to partake in those good works which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so that we can glorify you, so that others will glorify you, either through their uh, acceptance of that gift of salvation through Christ or of their rejection and your justice being appeased by your wrath on sin. Thank you, Father, for the amazing grace that did save us. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.